0: Please turn with me in God's word to Hebrews chapter 10. Almost said 1 Peter. We haven't been in that for a year. (laughs) Turn with me to Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be in verses 19 through 25. Before we read our passage, let's remember where we have been. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews have primarily been a doctrinal journey. Sure, there have been warnings, there have been brief moments of application, but we have seen the great truth that Jesus is better, that Jesus is superior. We have seen that he is superior to the angels, to the prophets, to Moses, to Joshua, to the priestly King Melchizedek, and to the Old Testament sacrifices and priests. He is better because he is the eternal Son of God who did not offer up animals, but offered up himself to reconcile us to God. Therefore, Jesus, we have seen, is a better high priest for us than all of the priests of the Old Testament, that he offers us better promises Because of his eternal nature and his work, he guarantees us a better covenant. He provides us a better hope because they cannot be shaken and undone. These are foundational doctrines of our faith that the writer of Hebrews has been laying out again in the first 10 chapters up to verse 18. So now what? How do they inform and how do they fuel our life in ministry as followers of Jesus and as a community of faith? This is an important question to ask because the Christian life is not just about right doctrine. It's about right doctrine lived out to the glory of God and for the good of everyone that is around us. Hebrews 10, 19 is the author's transition point of practically applying all of those doctrines that we have seen in these first 10 chapters that are, again, regarded the person and the work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And in verses 19 through 25 in our passage today, we see three practical implications of his gospel work. That we are able to draw near to God. That we are able to maintain our confession. And that we are able to stir one another up towards love and good works. Let's keep our eyes open for these three as I read the passage again. That we can draw near to God, hold fast to our confession, and stir one another up towards love and good works. This is God's holy word. Let's give give it our full attention. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray again. Father, we are here today in confidence, drawing near to you, knowing that you are with us and we know that we have come by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he is open to us through his body and his blood, that indeed we can draw near in this moment with a true heart and with a full assurance of faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience because of what Christ has done. Lord, that in baptism, we have a sign and a seal of his work on our behalf. And because of that, that we stand righteous and whole before your judgment throne, even though we are great sinners. And so we come boldly and with confidence. Lord, use this time, Lord, to strengthen us. Lord, to strengthen us in our daily drawing near to you of our confessing of our faith without wavering, because we know that you are faithful. And may we walk away considering how we may stir one another up for good works and for love, because you have not created us to be alone. You said from the beginning it was not good that we would be so. And so you have given us one another by your grace through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, strengthen us today. May this be all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, In our passage, because of the person in the work of Christ that we have been looking at in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we are exhorted here to do three things. To draw near to God, to maintain our confession, and to stir up one another towards love and good works. These are the three that we are going to explore today. But first, before going there, let us not miss from verses 19 and 20 that they indeed flow out of the person and the work of Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, again, we know that we can approach God's throne of grace In prayer in the heavenlies, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, through his broken body, we can draw near to him in prayer and in worship in times of his word with confidence because of that work. So again, how are we able to draw near? How are we able to maintain our confession? How are we able to stir one another up towards love and good works? They are all possible because of Jesus and the work that he has done in the gospel. It is through his broken body. He himself is the doorway through which we may enter. We may enter pure because our sins, though they are like crimson, have been washed white as snow by his blood and so we can stand holy, pure in his presence And because of his work he has opened this new and this living way to us to come to him in confidence and so we have these three exhortations the first we see in verse 22 that we are exhorted to draw near to god with what with a true heart with a true heart We know that the heart is desperately wicked and that no one can understand it. But we know in God's covenant promise given to us in the prophets that through the new covenant, God has taken out our heart of stone and flesh, our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, a heart to love him, to trust him, to do all of his will. And so we have a true heart through the work of the Holy Spirit that we may draw near and we can come with full assurance of faith that he will not reject us, that he will not put us to death as we deserve, but we can come into his presence so we can draw near to him with a true heart full of assurance. We easily can take this for granted. Most of us, particularly those that have grown up going to church, that have been going to church for years, maybe even decades, we hear regularly about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That God is near, that we have an intimacy with Him because of the redemption and because of the calling that He has given us. But for the original audience of this letter, this was a revolutionary idea. Because as Hebrew people, since the time of all the way back into Moses, they had always been warned about drawing near to God. We see it in passages like Exodus 19. We see it in Exodus 19. We know that this is when Israel's is before Mount Sinai. Why are they there? God had sent Aaron and Moses to Pharaoh in Egypt, declaring to set his people free. Why? So that they could come to the mountain and worship the Lord. And in Exodus 19, after a long journey, after seeing God's deliverance, they come to the mountain. They have come there to worship God, but they are warned. They are warned, do not step on the mountain where God dwells. For when you do so, you will die. You see, because no man can be in God's presence and live. He's too righteous and too holy. We are too sinful. On our own, apart from God's grace, apart from the work of Jesus, apart from his broken body and his blood, we cannot draw too near. We can come and worship to him, but we have to keep him at arm's length. Lest we die. But because of redemption in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. Can we get closer than that? And so we can come and worship here on Sunday morning. We can go in prayer to his throne of grace. We can approach with confidence that he hears us and that he loves us and that he will not cast us out. And you know, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it wasn't just an exodus. In order to draw near to God and worship in the tabernacle and in the temple, God's people had to bring an animal sacrifice. They had to bring guilt and sin offerings in order to draw near to God. But in our passage, the author of Hebrews is telling them that they no longer need to do that. That actually they're not to do it. That they are no longer to do it. In fact, it would be wrong for them to do so. Why? Because verses 19 through 20 make it clear that Jesus has become the sacrifice for them, which we know in our study of Hebrews was given once for all. Not like the animal sacrifices that had to be repeated over and over and over. Jesus offered himself once and for all, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And it's a one-time sacrifice for you and me so that we can always draw near to God. That we can draw near to him and worship. That we can draw near to his throne of grace to find help in time of need. And that ultimately we can draw near to him in the inner sanctuary that we have been seeing in the heavenly realms. And one day Jesus will come back and take us there and we will be able to enter because of what he has done. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. God accepts us into his presence not because of the sacrifices that you and I give, whatever they may look like. Good works, our attendance on Sunday morning, the amount of money we put in the offering plate, the number of people that we love, the number of times that we share the gospel, the number of times that we bear patiently and that we extend forgiveness, the number of passages that we memorize in Scripture, fill in the blank with whatever it is, whatever our sacrifices and our works are, the beauty of the gospel is that's not what makes us accepted in God's presence. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of his broken body and his blood. So friends, let us not forget what a gift it is to enter this space every Sunday morning to draw close to God, to draw near to Him individually and corporately. We have no need to come here and to offer sacrifices because Jesus has offered Himself. And so we can draw near with confidence and an assurance of faith. And may we walk out of here in that assurance of faith, daily looking to Him, communing with Him in prayer through His Word, through serving Him by loving our neighbor. And as another encouragement, meditate on that work this week. Jesus has broken body in his blood because next week we are going to partake of the Lord's table together. May this passage remind us that it is the Lord's table. And because of what Jesus has done, he calls us to draw near. And that's it. it is an image of the meal that we will have with Jesus. Because if you remember when he instituted the supper, he said, I will not partake of the fruit of this vine until I partake it with you in glory. And so we can draw near to the table, which is a symbol of us being able to draw near to God when he comes to take us home. Meditate on these things this week that we may come longing for the table which is again a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace, a sign that we can approach him with a true heart given to us by him and with full assurance. Let's move on to the second exhortation of our passage. We see it in verse 23, that we are to hold fast to our confession. We are to hold fast to our confession, which is to say that because of Jesus and his work in the gospel, we are to have perseverance and we are to have consistency in our faith. We are not to be like boats that are tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. We are not to be like dead leaves being blown around without purpose, as John Piper talks about in one place but that we would hold fast to our faith and walk in perseverance. And we know how much of a struggle that is. And it will continue to be a struggle. By God's grace, hopefully we're getting better. And that tomorrow and next month and the next year and a decade from now and 50 years from now, if God so gives us life that long, that we would see that we are doing better. Not because of any strength of our own, but because of the grace and the strength that the Lord provides. I remember very well my sophomore year of college. By God's grace, He drew me to Himself the beginning of that year. And that year had many victories, but it had many downs as well. Many returnings to my sin. This constant roller coaster, this feeling that. I could never overcome. And I would have days where I just wanted to give up. But here's the thing, God never let me go. I failed him every day, still fail him every day, but he never lets go. And even though I fail every day, I still see his grace at work in my life. That there is sin that I used to struggle with that I don't. And sometimes I have new sins that'll pop up that I've never struggled with before. You've been there? But the story of redemption in my life and of God's grace and of strength in the midst of my constant failures is a hope to me that I can hold fast to my confession, that I can trust that he is gonna get me through with this new sin that I'm struggling with and grant victory. And if it doesn't come in this life, it'll come in glory because we all have our thorns in our flesh. And Satan wants to take those thorns in our flesh and get us to turn aside. But God extends his hand of grace that we may hold fast not to effort, but we may hold fast to him. Remember Jesus, it is him that we are anchored to. So why should we persevere and be consistent in our faith? Why should we continue to trust God's promises? Why should we continue to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds? Why should we continue to hold on to the hope that Jesus will return and take us home to be with him forever? Why? Look at the end of verse 23. Because God is faithful. Not because you're faithful. Because he is faithful to keep his promises. To finish the work of salvation that He begins in us, faithful one day to come and to take us home. So, in our struggle with sin, there will always be a temptation to ride that wave of complacency, of backsliding, and of rebellion. But God loves us too much to stay on that roller coaster. He has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He has planned in advance for us to do. And the first and foremost is to rest in his grace and that he is faithful to never give up on making us more like Jesus. Your God is faithful. He will do it in the midst of all your sins. So every time you fall short of his glory and you are tempted to let go of your confession, of your faith in him, remember that his mercies, friends, are new every morning. And that great is his faithfulness. He will never give up on making you more like Jesus. He has been, he is, and he will be faithful to do it all. So every time you fall short, lean on grace. Hold fast to your confession of faith by the strength he gives. Hold fast and draw near. Their the first two exhortations. And let's not miss how much we need each other in order to do so. And to fulfill all that God calls us to do by faith. We need each other. This is made clear by the third exhortation of our text. We see it in verses 24 and 25. Let's look at them again. Let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because of Jesus and his work in the gospel, we have been created as one people to bring him glory. He has given us one another to stir up one another towards love and good works. Let's see this as God's vision. This is God's vision of how we are to live until Jesus returns. Let's not allow our faith to just be personal. Indeed, it is personal. God has redeemed us individually. But it is also a corporate one. We need each other if we are going to live lives that are honoring to God. So why is coming to worship on Sunday morning important? Why is one-on-one discipleship important? Why is getting plugged into small groups important? Why is opening our homes to one another important? Why is sharing life with one another important. Because we are too weak individually to live out our faith on our own. We need encouragement from each other. And if you and I think for one moment that we can live out our faith on our own, we will quickly fall into sin and doubt. Because so much of what God calls us to do in exercising our faith, of holding fast of our confession, requires community. We think of all the one another commands of scripture, to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, at times to rebuke one another, to care, and so much more. How can we ever do that on our own? It requires one another. We also need each other because God has created us for one another. He has brought us into his family. And Jesus himself prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. You see, our community, our relationships with one another, they ought to reflect the relationship between Father and Son. We are to have that sense of unity, to have one heart, one mind, and one purpose. But now we know on this side of glory that we will disagree but may our disagreements never lead us to disunity, to lack of peace in pursuing it. Of course, unless it is against God's will written down in his word and would lead us into heresy, let us divide over those things. But beyond that, let us maintain our unity and stir one another up towards that unity because it will not be easy. Because deep relationships are not easy. Never. If you want easy relationships, leave the church and go join a social club. Christian community is hard. It's hard because it's going to require love and sacrifice. And we don't have the strength to love and to sacrifice on our own. But again, God has given us the gift of one another to encourage each other. Because as sinners, we're good at stirring up the pot when it comes to preferences not being met or controversial topics or secondary issues that are not important or issues that honestly are not worth our time. So let's be a church that focuses on stirring up one another towards love and towards good works by God's grace. And the question is, do we know each other well enough to be able to do that, to stir one another up? We have a mission to bring glory to God. Is it our, it's our chief end. To build community and to live missionally. If I could pick one passage in all of Scripture to begin the conversation of what fulfilling our mission as a church looks like, I think I would pick Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And to ask the question of how. How do we stir one another up towards love and good works? Look at the second half of verse 25. It's encouragement. We can stir one another up towards love and good works through encouragement. Think about your own life. Who has that been for you? Who was the encouragement to you through God's word and through the gospel that because God worked through that person that you're sitting in this room today? Because without that person, you would have not heard the gospel. You would have not seen the love of Christ lived out and would not be a person of faith. Again, it's all God's work, but yet he uses us to proclaim the good news of his gospel. For me, it was guys like Dave Hoyt, my first youth pastor, who taught me God's word who's in his late 70s living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's still serving the kids in his neighborhood with his wife because he can't stop telling people about the gospel and the love of Christ. It's people like Steve Huber, a gentleman that went to my church growing up that is legally blind, but he's a professional artist. Good old Steve got a heart of gold by God's grace. Used to go on these long 30 mile bike rides down to Malabar Farm, which if you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, the big tree, it's right across the street from Malabar Farm. And so familiar with that area. But we used to go there and we used to ride our bikes down. There was a natural spring to drink water. But here's the thing about Steve. He gave me the water that really mattered because we would crack open scripture as we drank from that well. And or that spring, and we would study God's word together, and we would pray, and he would encourage me. And I could go on about Don Belsterling, my second youth pastor, that encouraged me first to go into ministry. And then Joe Magalette, even though I'd grown up in the church, professed Christ, but did not have faith in him. But Joe shared with me the gospel at Ashton University, the same gospel I heard my whole life, and God changed my life. And then there's Jim Mock, who is my receiving staff for the Navigators from 1991, 1999 to 2001 that helped me go through a very intense season of burnout as I struggled with intense sin and trauma from my childhood. Then there's guys like Al Dayhoff who many of you have met. <laughs> And then there's Jason Moore, one of my assessors from the assessment center, who I still meet with on Mondays via Zoom for about 30 minutes to an hour. Where would I be without them? Yes, it's God's grace, I know. God's grace is the ultimate reason why I stand before you today, holding fast to the confession of faith, but it was through those men and many others, which I don't have time to mention, that shared Christ with me and instilled Christ's words within me and taught me to study his word and to pray, to prioritize worship in Christian community. God's grace came through them. So friends, In our congregation, who can you send a text of encouragement this week? Maybe expressing an appreciation for something that they have done or sending them a Bible verse to encourage them. Who in our congregation can you go to coffee with to encourage them by acknowledging their strengths and their passions and the good works that you see them doing? Who in our congregation can you offer a listening ear to? Because sometimes the best way we can encourage people is to say nothing at all but to just be in their presence and listen. Friends, let's never cease to be a church that keeps the gospel new and fresh, daily reminding each other of our forgiveness in Jesus, of God's love for us in Christ, and of God's faithfulness to his promise toward us in Christ. Jesus shed his blood so that we could draw near to God, so that we could hold fast to our faith, And we were not designed to take this journey alone. We daily lose strength and struggle and doubt, but God has given us the gift of one another for encouragement. Therefore, let us draw near to God and hold fast to our faith in him together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your work. We recognize that it's because of Jesus that this is all possible. We rejoice that we can draw near to you. Lord, that you are there in every time of need. Lord, that we can hold fast to our confession in the midst of the ups and downs in life and our own struggle with sin in those moments when we feel like this is impossible and we'll never gain victory. Lord, that we can hold fast to our faith knowing that our unfaithfulness is not the end of the story, but that the end of the story is your faithfulness to us, which cannot be taken away because you, Lord, carry on to completion. Lord, the work of salvation you've started in us. Thank you for the gift of one another. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have not loved well and served well, that we have not spoken well of one another. Lord, would you heal us? And Lord, to see each other as brothers and sisters and as friends. Lord, that you would make us one as you and the Father are one. Lord, that you would show each of us individually how we can encourage the others. That we may be a church that glorifies your name. And as we proclaim the gospel, that as people see our unity, that they were long for the same kind of fellowship and that your spirit would draw them in. Lord, we thank you. We give you the glory for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon was recorded at Living Hope Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more sermons and resources, visit livinghopeth.com.